0: Not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have heard, have, who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that, was, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them.
1: Good morning, church. I hope you had a, a, a wonderful summer and you have absorbed enough heat prepared for the coming winter. <clears throat> um, looking at this um, scripture we just we just read for us It, it, it looks like you 're watching a movie you know um, it 's uh, a final week for jesus. <clears throat> um, The day before his um, uh, days on the cross, he'll be dying the next day uh, on the cross. It's Thursday night with his 12 uh, disciples in a sacred place, hiding uh, from the authorities who were looking for him. And they were actually uh, proposed uh, a uh, a reward for someone who tells them where where Jesus was. And um, among the 12, there was one person who was very much aware of that reward, and very much mindful of what the authorities were uh, promising, so this this really critical time for Jesus that um, in this evening we, we see him narrating and sharing and, and serving to his disciples, uh, what we see in the in the Gospel of John, the four chapters from the, this chapter 13 until uh, chapter 16. He was just pouring out his heart, you know, at the last minute what he has for them. So it's a very, very, um, you know, people say this as, a, we call it as a final legacy of Jesus. He was pouring out himself. He was doing whatever is important to, um, uh, you know, kind of, Revealed to them, uh, uh, to have an impact in, in, in their life, to change their mindset, to challenge their perceptions. And, and, and so uh, John starts this chapter by, um, by telling us how Jesus was conscious of the time, you know, that the time has come for him to go to his father. Then, uh, then writes a sentence that looks like a summarized statement about what is to come hereafter, in this chapter as well as in the chapters to come. He said this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's like, it's like a summarized statement of what is, what is to come, what will be unfolding throughout the chapters and the stories to come. Um, so the following story in this chapter as well as in the following chapters are about Jesus' love in action. This is what true love... intense uh, uh, intense love, divine love does, loves to the end, loves completely to the end, to the cross, beyond uh, um, the cross, beyond uh, everlasting. So it was a night of uh, love in action, you know, Jesus demonstrating his love in action. So we start by asking this question, what was Jesus trying to teach his disciples on this story, on the story that we just read uh, for us now? So what is it that he wanted to try to communicate to them? Is he saying to them that they should wash their feet whenever they meet in dinner time? Is that what he was trying to communicate? So once we looked at the lessons he wants to, uh, he want us to learn or he wants his disciples to learn, then we would be looking at three things that would help us follow in his footsteps and put his commands into practice. So, John sets the scene for, for the story. It happened before the Passover, as I said, when they're just about to finish their evening meal. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it seems like in the middle of the meal that Jesus got up to wash uh, his disciples. So while having their dinner, you can imagine, you know, uh, all sorts of conversations was going on mundane things, what they have seen, uh, experienced in the day, they're just talking and, and enjoying themselves, and of, of, also uh, serious talks. And it's, it's, it's amazing that the disciples always, always feel free in the presence of Jesus to make mistakes, to be themselves. They, you know, just to say to to say a a question that is really bizarre, and you know, kind of to say whatever, whatever is on their mind. They never felt judged. They never felt restrained. They never felt the need to hide their inner uh, thoughts. They were just themselves. They were vulnerable and feel free to make mistakes. And he he corrects them. He teaches them. He rebukes them. But they never felt judged by uh, his. Uh, response to their questions or what they're saying. So I believe this is, this is the kind of community Jesus wants the, believe, the believing community to be, a community where people feel free and safe to be themselves, to be vulnerable, a community that doesn't judge but first love, then humbly corrects and teaches. So the disciples were free to, to, to the, in the presence of Jesus. So at this dinner table, as Luke told us, that there was a discussion about who was the greatest among us. You know, the, the, when you compare Jesus, how, what was going on in his mind, the burden on, on, on him and, and kind of the, what was happening in his mind and what was happening in his disciples' mind was totally, totally different. So they were talking about who's the greatest among us. He was talking about, you know, one of you will betray, betray me and, you know, uh, what is to come. But they were talking about who is the greatest among us. And I'm not sure what kind of criteria they were using to determine greatness, but obviously not what Christ has in mind. Luke told us that Christ's response to their question was, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. But the question of greatness is in the hands of the fallen humanity. You know, the very presence of the feeling of inferiority or superiority in our hearts shows that there is still that question in us. If there isn't any question of greatness, then you wouldn't feel inferior or superior. So this question is asked in the minds of every individual, family, society, culture, who is the greatest? There is a desire to be the greatest, the one, one way or another, a desire to be above others, to rule, to dominate you know, within our circle. It could be family, community, organization, where it is possible to do so. To be on the spotlight, to a desire for honor and respect, to be perceived as knowledgeable, experienced, educated, successful. We even go to the extent of putting others down so that we may go up. We talk about the weakness of others so that we may feel good or better. So Jesus once talked about how a desire for glory from others hinders faith. Uh, in in this in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter five, Jesus said, how can you believe since you accept, accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? So the problem is not uh, people respecting you or honoring you, it's you're accepting that respect honor or have a desire or appetite for it or actively seeking it. You know, in our culture, no one wants to be misunderstood as a servant. So the disciples were, you know, concerned about their own greatness, you know, dignity and honor, position in life. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were self-absorbed and, you know, undeserving. But the, the right course of action would have been for Jesus to rebuke them, but that's not what he, he does. He 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 gets up and then starts washing their feet. Now, you know what Jesus did was something that was totally countercultural. He, you know, he he broke the social rule. He the, the you know the. Um, it was a rare for non-slaves even to do to, it's, uh, the, the problem is not the, uh, you know, uh, the lesser should wash the more important person's feet, not the other way around. It's because washing feet in, in the Jewish culture was not simply a job of a slave, even a slave, but a, a lesser slave, a Gentile. You're not supposed to ask a Jew slave to wash your feet. It, ha- it has to be uh, a Gentile for, for, you, for, for, you to, to, for, for you to ask to wash uh, your feet. So Jesus went about washing his disciples' feet in a way a slave would have done. So he got up from the, the mill, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a, a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. I mean, you can imagine the shock the devastation that would have on them. You know, they were, as I say they were talking about greatness. They were talking about, I am greater than him and her, him. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Jesus, Lord, and, and, and uh, their teacher stood up and, and took a position of the lowest form of uh, a slave to wash their feet. I mean, it was a devastating experience for them. I, I, can't, I can't imagine the first disciple who, who was willing to be washed by, by Jesus. You know, Peter's reaction indicates this shock. He's shocked, you know, Peter was shocked. He said, he said to, to Jesus, he said, Lord, are you going to wash me, my feet? You, you are going to wash my... I mean, it was like, it was a huge blow for their pride. And... Um, and then Jesus answered to Peter that he wouldn't understand what was going on now, but he will understand later. Peter responded even with more, uh, more strongly. He said, you will never wash my feet. Never. You'll never wash my feet. I, I won't allow it. You'll never. It's like, uh, you know, do you know who you are? Do you know who would do such a thing? Do you know who- who's supposed to wash feet? You? Never, never. And Jesus said, well, if that is the case, then you don't have any part uh, with me. And that was uh, then he he reacted um, uh, in a way that he um, said, not only just my feet, my head, and my my hand. So, uh, you know, uh, their pride was exposed in the presence of humility. Pride stands naked. So Jesus answered, "If I do not wash you, you have no part." So then. Um, then he, Jesus said, all you need is that I wash your feet and you are all clean, yet not all of you are clean. And then John again tells us that Jesus knew which, which one of them was um, going to betray him and that is why he said, you are not clean. So Jesus' response to Peter tells us and, uh, that Jesus' action was more than washing a, uh, a feet, and uh, the command that he gave them later on also indicates that. So firstly, it points to, to cleansing. It, is, it points to Jesus' ongoing ministry to the body of Christ. He's not just only washing his disciples. He was actually indicating what is to come, that he will be washing on a daily basis his, his, his disciples, his, his, the, body, the body of Christ. You know, he said to the fact that his sacrifice on the cross not only provided for our salvation, the initial and fundamental cleansing from our sin, but also provides ongoing cleansing. So as we walk through life in the world, as they were walking on dusty roads, our feet will get dirty, and Jesus is willing to wash us clean. But you need to receive. His ultimate cleansing first in order to benefit from the cleansing of your feet. If your body is dirty, just washing your feet means absolutely nothing. There was one person who didn't accept, apply, Jesus, receive Jesus as he is to his life, uh, who was Judas. And Jesus washed his feet, but washing his feet didn't actually make any difference. So this is Jesus' ongoing ministry to his body, to us to wash us every day from the dirt of the world. Secondly, there is also something that is, the disciples should follow in doing, uh, following his examples. He said, now that I, your Lord, teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So this is how the community should live together, by humbly serving one another. Humble servanthood in the communities that reside in a radical way are the very nature of true love. Jesus didn't say, Now it's time for for you to wash me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Okay, now you're 12 of of you there. Come on, you know, six of you, one feet and six the other. He didn't say that. He said, Now you have seen me washing your feet. Do this to one another. So, Jesus' action demonstrates how far love would go in serving others. You know, such love is not focused on promoting one's own position, but on the interest of fellow believers. You know, it's the heart of Jesus' command is humility and service, helpfulness towards uh, brothers and sisters. You know, only humble people could love. The lesser interested you are in yourself, the greater your capacity to invest yourself in, uh, in somebody else's. The lower you go in self-concern, the higher you go in your concern for others. Being devoted to the needs and well-being, blessing and joy of others. So it is, it is living as a, uh, as a community in a love that covers the multitudes of sin. You know, it's living in, in forgiveness, forgiving, you know, not seven times, but 70 times. It's, it's, it's attitude of service, it's, it's attitude of love. It is, um, it is um, avoiding being judgmental, seeking not to focus on the splinter in others' eye. It is to be other-focused, making yourself available to serve in any way possible. It is to be attentive to the needs of others. So the focus is not on consistent humbleness in a slave-like way, but rather on devotion and affection that is willing to serve beyond what is expected. So the humility of Christ is a pattern for his disciples. Instead of aspiring to dominate, they must be eager to serve. So it's not the action of washing feet that is important, but rather the character of the action, the intent and attitude the action illustrates. That's why we don't see the practice of uh, foot washing continued in the early church. Rather, Jesus' action exemplifies the spirit of humble servanthood that believers are to show to one another. So as you give yourself to humble service in love, when your love compels you to serve others in humility, Jesus said, you will be blessed. When you do into practice what you saw me doing, then you will be happy, you will be blessed. That is, that's what uh, he said to them after he commanded them to do it. So this is um, humbly serving one another. That is the community, uh, the mark of the community of Jesus Christ. That's what, at the last minute, he wanted his disciples to conceive, to understand what to be uh, a community of um, the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, what does it take for us to live in this kind of uh, loving service? Delivered from the desire to dominate from self-centered life to other-centered life. There are three things, I believe, that John highlighted, Jesus knew, that led him to take the action of a slave to teach his disciples to do the same. There were three things that John continued to say. So he talked about the knowledge of the time, the hour. Jesus was aware of the time. He was, there was some urgency in what he does. And the knowledge of who he is, his identity. He was content in who he was. And the knowledge of others. So the knowledge of time. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. So the hour John is referring to is the hour he was to glorify the Father by his days and resurrection. So the hour that he was to depart out of this world unto the Father. So Jesus had such a keen sense of timing, God's timing. He knew what was going on. He knew the, time, he, the timing. Or sometimes he, he does, he says no to some things and yes to some things. He was aware, functioning in that time consciousness. He knew the, his time. So Jesus' knowledge of the hour did two things for him. One, the knowledge of the hour led him to focus on the task. So accomplishing God's will, to focus on God's priority, which is loving those he has given him to the end. So communicating to his disciples that which he needs to communicate before he departs from them. He was hiding with them, telling them, and sharing that He knows the time. The time the, his time consciousness made him to focus on the task, to be ready to drink the cup his father prepared uh, for him. For him, every day, every hour counts to fulfill, to be what God wants to, to, to him to, to, to be and to do. So to do the will of his father. There was an urgency in in his actions. So, so secondly, the knowledge of the hour led him also to focus on his destination. You know, his destiny, he knew that he would leave this uh, uh, world and go to the Father. So, he wasn't focusing on what is happening in between. If he was focused on what was happening in between, you know, it would have been, you know, because he was focused on his destination, he was able to face the betrayal. days with courage because his destination gave him courage. His destination, what is to come? What is to come? He's going to the Father. He's going to the glory. He's going to... Um, uh, received by the Father to his eternal glory and fellowship which he had eternally enjoying with the Trinity. This was the joy set before him that enabled him to endure the cross, to serve his Father despite the obstacles because there is greater joy coming. The glory is ahead of him. And and because he was focused on that, he was able to endure the suffering that was uh, going on in his life. I think being time conscious will do the same thing for us. It will help us to focus on the task. When we are conscious of the hour, the short time we have on earth, the short time that we have on earth, the short time that we are able to serve and be what God wants us to be, we will be liberated from the temporal focus on that which has eternal value, the will of the Father, his command. What is his command? What is the Christian service? It is simply to love. Simply to love. That's a command that is given to us. So it is humbly serving uh, one another. When we are, caught, uh, we are conscious of our time, you give, you give priority to love. I was talking to my wife yesterday, um, discussing this uh, sermon. Uh, she's my um, critic. So um, I humbly submit. Um, so uh, when I was, she said to me, you know, you're right, she said. You know, if, if the doctor says to you, uh, you have one, one week to leave, what would you do? Would you be focusing on the money that you have in a bank or that, that, that? No, you will be seeking those that you love and try to spend as much time as possible, isn't it? So love is is what is all about. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 13, now these three remains, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this, the, this is love so we will stop procrastinating to serve you know we will make serving the will of our father our priority we don't have huge amount of time on earth and we will be able to focus on our destination you know like jesus we will be going to our father you know that makes a, a, a serving a joy despite the challenge help us to endure the disappointment that might come from serving his will from serving in love because we know the love joy and glory that is waiting for us. You know we have to let our destination influence our journey. That's what we see in in, in our fathers in the the Old Testament, Abraham and and, uh, Moses. The the Bible in in Hebrew 11 tells us that by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a a stranger in a foreign country, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations where, where the architect And builder is God. So because he was looking at this city, magnificent city, the city to come, he was able to live in in, in the desert with joy. So he allowed his destination to influence his journey in life. Moses is the same. It says that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So the coming reward influenced Moses to reject the, the glory of Egypt to uh, suffer with the people of God for Christ. That's what um, uh, he's saying. So our destination becomes um, affects our um, time. So time consciousness will help us to focus on the task and also to focus on our destination. Everything that is in between is very temporary. It just goes like, 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 like that. Secondly, what, what uh, we, we, Jesus knew was the knowledge of who he is. It says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I mean, this is beyond comprehension. Jesus Christ, on that room, hiding with his disciples, was actually in full authority to do everything he, he, he wants, to do anything, like he's... Full of authority. He can do anything. I mean, I can't, you can't comprehend that kind of power, that kind of authority. He was, not, he was, he was uh, from God, he's going to God. So he is God, the God, the incarnate God. Uh, so Jesus was, knew who he was. He was secured in who he was. He was content in his relationship with the Father. His relationship with his Father was the source of everything, glory identity, contentment, destiny, purpose. There was no need in him that, was see- that he was seeking to get it from man. Nothing at all. There was nothing. His father, you know, he was satisfied by who he was in God. Jesus knew the father's gift. There was no lack in what the father is to him. You know, what John tells us, Jesus knew at this point was beyond human comprehension. He knew that he had absolute authority. He could do anything in that he is God and he knew, and that was enough. He doesn't need anybody else to know who he was. He doesn't, he doesn't need any confirmation from anybody else about who he is, he knew, and that was enough. Knowing in himself who he was was enough for Jesus. Now, um, while he has all that, he can be treated as if he doesn't have anything, that's what happened. But that was okay with Jesus. But he chose to serve to take a form of a slave and he had no need of human approval, glory, or affirmation. This is the same for us. You know, true service comes out of knowing who we are in Christ. The more we know who we are in Christ, the more we know the glory, the reality of being his sons and daughters. How God has given us everything, as Paul said in Corinthians, all things are yours in Christ, knowing how his divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we have everything in God, that how we are complete in him, you know, when we are content in him, then when we know how much we are accepted and loved, honored in the eyes of God, then serving in humility becomes possible. Humility becomes difficult when you seek somewhere else what is provided for you in God. True self-knowledge brings humility because it's not something we deserve because this is this is amazing. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be a, the, the child of God. I don't deserve to, to have his mercy, his grace. I don't deserve to be uh, uh, seen perfect in Christ. I don't deserve all that God has provided for me. This is humbling. So when you really know that, then the humility sets in. Then serving others becomes possible. Therefore, Jesus' humble conduct was not because he forgot his rank as incarnate God and Son, the God the Son. His act demonstrates that rank and privilege are not occasions for arrogance, but are higher credentials for service. So, so, so not only he was conscious of the time, not only he, he knew he, he, who he was, but he, he actually knew others. He, he knew, he said, he said that, for he knew who was, who was going to betray him. He knew, he knew who, who was, he, he, he was serving. Jesus knew he, who he was serving. He knew them individually as well as collectively. He knew them. He knew their, their heart and intention. He knew how Peter will deny him, others will leave him, and Judas betray him. He knew. He was serving them with much love. You know, he loved them to the end. He was not unaware when he was washing Judah's feet. He knew what, what he was going to do. He knew that he's going to betray him. But Jesus was giving him everything possible, wanting him to be saved, to, be re, to return, knowing what kind of person he was, knowing what was going on in his mind. Jesus was serving him despite all that and, and, and giving him that opportunity to show, you know, to demonstrate his love for him. But because Judas' heart was so uh, closed and obviously taken by all kinds of things, he was not willing to uh, receive that. So he was serving them with full knowledge of their predicament. His love was stronger than human weakness. So the same is, uh, so it was, that, was, that was, you know, he wasn't surprised, he wasn't disappointed, oh, How can you betray me later on? Kind of in regret, knowing that um, Judas betrayed him or the disciples left him. He was not because he was. He did what he did with full awareness. So the same is true for us. Knowing others or knowing the weakness of humanity, including ourselves, will help us serve indiscriminately and humbly. We don't. We are not asked to choose who to serve, even even the people that we know. In fact. There is always, always there is a, a possibility of betrayal. that so We need to be aware of that humanity is broken. Jesus is in the business of restoration and transformation. We are called to love the broken humanity and serve in humility, knowing the possibility that the very people whose feet we wash might betray us. So we liberate us, that, that knowledge will liberate us to serve them with humility. Um, so if we don't remember that, if we don't know, we, you know, we can get discouraged and withdraw from serving because, you know, because we, we, somebody, somebody betrayed us. And Jesus' washing of Judas informs us, serving with humility, with full knowledge of the community. So we are called to humbly serve one another. So first, first of all, we need to let Jesus wash our feet. We need to imagine As I said, this is an ongoing ministry of Jesus. Jesus is washing, uh, coming to wash those places that we are ashamed even to show uh, somebody else to know. Jesus wants to come there to wash, to wash. So allow him, uh, you know, we need to allow him to be washed by him. We shouldn't stop, we should stop resisting him to wash us. Uh, Sometimes our pride could resist him from coming into that place where there is debt, that uh, uh, that uh, to watch. So stop seeking for perfect community. There is always a possibility for betrayal. It is your love which needs to grow by knowing and living in the love Christ has for you. We are all called humbly to serve. One another. Shall we bow our head and pray together? Jesus is here with us even now. And He's willing to wash our feet, to wash that part of our life where there is dirt. Jesus, this this Our God, our Lord, the creator of the universe, is willing to kneel beside you and to wash you. Just allow him to wash you. Allow him to enter into that place. Don't resist him from washing you. Jesus, we invite you now, Lord, to come. To the places that we um, need to be washed. But wash us right, our Lord Jesus. May your humility expose our pride. May him, your humility humble us and ignite love in us for others. Help us to know how much we are loved, how much we are accepted, who we are in you so that we may be less concerned about ourselves but more concerned about others. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.